we purchased what had been Coldplay's tour bus. It never um, was. So a brand new village purely for getting people off the streets. That's what the Embassy Village is all about. The thing that I find most amazing is they all knew full well I didn't have the money to build the thing that we were designing and trying to get through planning. One minute she can have a roof over her head and then the next minute she has an argument and she's out on the street that night. If you look at the stats, they're, they're skewed. Tell me about the experiences you've had with people who you've helped. Home wasn't home for mm. me. I didn't want to be there. Uh, I felt unsafe. It wasn't a safe place for me. I'm Russ Morris, and for our final episode of this series of the Simple Life Chats, we're tackling the important issue of homelessness with the incredible charity Embassy. Manchester ranks third highest in the country for people experiencing homelessness, with one in 74 people experiencing being homeless during their lives. It feels especially relevant to recognise the crisis in this country and talk about ways we can support the more vulnerable members of our community. And we're doing that with our special guests from Embassy. So we're joined today by Em and Sid from Embassy to talk about homelessness and domestic abuse. Uh, first up, Sid, introduce yourself. Well, hi, Ross. Uh, my name's Sid. Uh, my wife, Tess, and I are co-founders of Embassy, which is a homeless charity in Greater Manchester. And we're also joined by Em. Tell us about what you do. Hi, yeah. So I am the Women's Support and Resettlement Manager, and I run the Women's Housing at Embassy. Now, Sid, we'll start with you. Tell us how Embassy Village started off. Wow, okay. Well, it actually began not with a village, it began with a bus. So we purchased what had been Coldplay's tour bus. It never um, was. Well, Coldplay and a few other people. I don't think any of them actually owned it. I think they probably hired it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but wow. th- th- I only mention that because I want you to get in your minds that it was quality. Yeah. Um, and so we're a Christian charity, and so our understanding of poverty is that in, in God's eyes, this, the world is upside down. So the poor and the last and the least are actually the VIPs. And so we were thinking, well, we can only put these people on a VIP tour bus. So that's why we went out. My auntie gave me some money. I went and managed to get hold of Tim Heatley and, and a few other people and said, please help me fund this thing. And we managed to get this bus. And um, we, very green, we didn't know what we were doing at all, really, if I'm totally honest with you. And we started sleeping 12 homeless chaps at any one time on our bus on a sort of world tour of Salford and uh, it was great it had 12 um, beds in it all memory foam curtained off really smart uh, a cinema with a deeply inappropriate champagne fridge and then we had uh, like a little kitchenette and um, it was big it was a big thing and we had a lot of fun with it driving so, around so the, the bus wasn't converted it was literally gone from rock oh, stars yeah. to yeah, homeless yeah. people yeah so wow. that, that's it, it was kind of ideal for it. I had a, I still have a friend called Alex. He had been in a band that toured all around Europe doing rock gigs and things. And I, my background is I'd been volunteering in homelessness, um, but then my day job was I was converting regular buses into youth centres and doing youth work all around the northwest. And then it was my friend Alex who put two and two together. He went, hang on a minute, mate. He's like, you know how to do stuff with buses and you can drive them and all the rest of it. Um, and you've got this passion for homeless people. He said, you do realise that a tour bus is just a homeless shelter on wheels, just a swanky one. And it was like a light bulb came on. It was one of those moments. And so it was kind of like a moment. I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to take what I've learned here and uh, and we can put it into practice. And so I quit my job and so did my wife. <laughs> and Tess and I then 
employed four other people full time, which was foolhardy because we had like seven grand left to do that, <laughs> and we were all on payroll. And uh, and we bought this bus with with money that um, yeah people trusted us with, which was mental looking back at the time because didn't know what we we're doing. And then we started sleeping homeless people, and the council would send us people. I had a great conversation with the council in the first instance because they said to me oh, you want to start a homeless shelter? There's a lot of legislation here that you're going to have to sort of weave your way through. Are you sure you want to take this on? Like, there's a lot of red tape. And I said, is there any legislation for a homeless shelter on wheels? And they went, we've never heard of that. We don't have any legislation for that. It's like, fantastic. Maybe leave it that way, you know? They said, oh, no, hang on. Can <laughs> can you give us a couple of weeks? We need to go and look for any hurdles that we're going to throw you away. And I said, yeah, I'd like to know that because I'm about to buy this bus. Anyway, two weeks later, the council came back and said, all we can think of is don't park on double yellow. So that's two weeks. I might never get back, but um, we, we went for it. And to be fair to the council, they started sending us people and soon we were full. Uh, sadly, wow. the need being what it was and that need's just grown and grown. So how did you get involved with uh, with Embassy Village then? And what's your story? <laughs> well, I think Sid shares this story better than I do, to be honest, because I just uh, came in for an interview to work with the men and then suddenly <laughs> I get a call and, no, we've got something new for you. My colleague Leighton and I interviewed um, amongst other candidates, I have to say, and uh, they were all good, but M stood out to us as being possibly slightly too good for the job that we, she was applying for. So This is why I wanted him to speak about it. Sure, it a really yeah, nice it picture. sounds better coming from Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, and um, yeah, we kind of looked at each other after the interview and said, you know what, I think M has management potential. And so we kind of thought, wouldn't it be amazing? My trustees have been pushing me going, you know, now that we've not got a bus, can we just have some houses for men, some for women? We need to do something for women. And, and the funny thing is, originally we assumed the bus would be for homeless women because there was less provision for homeless women. It's just that all our research and all that... I spent months talking to homeless women and people who worked with homeless women, and they all said, do it for the men, we wouldn't use a shelter. It was really interesting, but they would use a home. It's just a funny dynamic. So we ended up doing the bus for men. So then when the opportunity came... Leighton and I looked at each other and went, yeah, let's let's see if Emily's willing to start in that job but help us launch something for women. And it was perfect because that's kind of what I've always wanted to do. That's That was the ideal for me. So you kind of called me a little unsure, like, hey, we're thinking this. And I was like, yes, thank you, please. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And it sounds like you're working really well together and it's uh, the charity's going from strength to strength by the sounds of it. Yeah, so I guess... I guess we've been on a, a never-ending pilot project. Mm. We started with a bus. We were just getting our feet under the table on how to do that and get people into work. And then COVID made us learn how to work in homes. And now we're learning how to work with women, which is it is mm. it is different. It is distinct. It is. Um, and but we're also in January about to start building a, a village of forty homes on the edge of Castlefield and Hume, uh, and called the MC Village. Um, and that will be another pilot project. So I don't know if we'll ever get out of. Like learning on the You're fly. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so a brand new village purely for uh, getting people off the streets. That's what the Embassy Village is all about. Are they brand new homes? How's it yes. working? Yeah, so complete new build. Um, it's a plot of land that's been provided by Peel um, and they're kindly not charging me any rent for the first decade, which is great. Uh, and then we've got a steering group, which involves some, some other kind of, I guess, key people in the city. Um but I think possibly the most remarkable thing is that we kind of first broached this idea 
at the beginning of COVID. And then throughout lockdown, 25 different companies came together and said, we'll, we'll give you some of our time for free. So, you know, I mean, we're sat in spinning fields now. So across the way, Deloitte gave us probably the best part of 100 grand of their time. And, you know, and that wasn't unique. We we're with 25 different companies doing all sorts of different things. I must have saved about 400,000, which I didn't have. So good job too, really. And they all knew, the thing that I find most amazing is they all knew full well I didn't have the money to build the thing that we were designing and trying to get through planning. Um, so then we had a first thing after lockdown, we had a, a bit of a party with all of our, I count 57 people who'd worked pro bono on this, some of them weekends because, you know, and we'd got through planning. And then it was a bit like, okay, I don't know what happens now because we don't actually have the money to do anything with this planning. Um, and then uh, thankfully it was ITV said, oh, can you come and tell us um, the story of how you got planning? So I was like, sure, I will. And it was a bit, frankly, it was an Anne Finely little piece, just like a two minutes happy news on the end of the bad news. And then um, um, uh, Jody Moulding, wife of Matt Moulding, you know, into the Hut Group, mm, yes. was watching telly and went, that's really cool. I'd like to fund that. So she got in touch and so... Short version of events is three and a half million pound later, and uh, we we start building in in January. So that's amazing. It is amazing. It cost more than three and a half million. I have to say, mm-hmm. the, it was that would have covered it, but then the cost of building materials has gone mental because mm-hmm. of the war. Some of them have doubled. So wow. we are still one point three million short, but we're just going to start building in faith that God will provide. And maybe somebody listening owns a company or <laughs> works for a company wants to provide a load of building materials or help. See, it's already happened once. Yeah, you just it, don't know exactly. who's listening. Do you, you don't know, do you? So you just um, don't know. We've, we've we've still got a little way to go, but. Mm. It's going to be 40 homes for homeless chaps, this one. Oh, just for men only. Yeah, okay. but there's something to talk about because there's an equivalent for women, but I'll let Emily talk on that. Okay. Um, and But it's going to have a village hall, for want of a better name. That was my grandmother came up for that. She's 100 in, in the spring. and she's, I, I was telling her, I was like, this is what we're planning on doing. She went, and I said, and there'll be a building that I don't know what to call it yet, but we'll have an office there and people can gather there and we'll celebrate people's birthdays and we'll do family meal once a week and we'll... There'll be a training kitchen in it and a counselling room, and I'm not sure what to call it. She went, oh, a village hall. And I was like, well, we'll have that as a temporary name. Anyway, it's stuck, hasn't it? So, and then but it, it have- does exactly what it says exactly. on the tin, and that yeah. is a genius idea, isn't it? Because, you know, I guess with homelessness, there's a lot of loneliness involved. So mm-hmm. to have that <clears throat> focal point is just amazing. It's, 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 if you, what you have to understand is most people who, who come from the street into uh, their next accommodation, they've spent a long time in a shelter. And that is there is a kind of institutionalisation that happens there for for all the best will in the world. And I used to run a shelter, so I'm a fan of them in principle, but it's almost unavoidable. And, um, yeah, we were talking to our, our partners on the ground, other charities who, by the way, there's some awesome charities aside from us in Manchester mm. working on the homeless, but their, their experience was if you take someone straight from a shelter and put them in council accommodation – and it's not the fault of the council or the private landlord. Often, it's about half of them choose to go back to the street because they feel lonely and they also feel overwhelmed because they've never managed a home before. Perhaps they've been in the armed forces or come out of prison or, or been in the care system. Um, and so it's like, this is just too much and I'm on my own. So we thought, wouldn't it be amazing to have a community where you, you get to practice running a home, a live practice run with all the training and the support that we provide, keeping a community and then... We get you that full-time job with one of our 21 corporate partners. And then when you're ready, we help you 
to move on and and we'll still visit you regularly if you need and we've been doing that on a small scale but the village allows us to quadruple what we're doing really and so we're really excited about that will there be shared housing or will everyone just have their own home no everyone have their own front door wow yeah it'd be cool and there'll be sports pitches and gardens and all sorts so yeah that's incredible so how do people end up homeless? I know that sounds a really silly question, but how how does it happen? Tell me about the experiences you've had with people who you've helped. Uh, I think the the leading reason is relationship breakdowns, uh, particularly for men. That's that's the main thing. They'll have a falling out with their spouse and they need to leave um, and they're sleeping, you know, a lot of people couch surf for a little while and that a lot of people don't realise that that is actually considered homelessness as well. Like we talk a lot about providing not just a, a house for people but a home and you can imagine that having to sofa surf and not knowing where you're going to be night to night doesn't really paint a picture of a happy, stable home or living situation. So, yeah, a lot of the time it's relationship breakdown and then if you're sleeping on the streets or like couch hopping, uh, it's, it's hard to maintain a job and so very quickly things just kind of... Go downhill, yeah, Yeah, big time. For women, uh, a a big cause is domestic violence. Uh, And yeah, so working with the women specifically, that's something that we have to really keep in mind, trauma-informed care, because a lot of these women are kind of escaping situations that just aren't very good and they're they're escaping trauma and things that no person should have to deal with. So that's something that caring for the women that we we care for, we have to really keep in mind and be careful about, you know, there's a lot of triggers and things like that for people fleeing that kind of situation. So it's something we have to really keep in mind in preparing programs and stuff for the, the people we care for. Is this a um, similar split in terms of homelessness? Is there more men homeless or women homeless? How- That's a tricky question to answer, actually. Can you because, answer it or not? Well, if you look at the stats, they're, they're skewed. So the, the stats will tell you that there are significantly more men rough sleeping than women. But the problem is that women's homelessness is a lot more hidden. So because of their vulnerabilities, they have to remain, you know, if they're rough sleeping, you often won't see them because they have to hide away. Uh, I, I could tell you so many stories about women that I've met, just the, the awful things that have happened to them on the streets. And, and that's not to say that that doesn't happen to men as well. But obviously, uh, you know, the, it's different living life as a woman. We have different struggles, different vulnerabilities. Uh, and a lot of the time, women as well, they are sofa surfing. So they're not counted. Um, and as I described before, that is also a form of homelessness. And a lot of these women are in unsafe situations in their house, living with an abusive partner. And so that can be really tumultuous and, and really volatile because one minute she can have a roof over her head and then the next minute she has an argument and she's out on the street that night. So it's it's really hard to answer. The stats are out there, but they're, they're not completely 100% correct because women's homelessness, it's just, it's harder to count. Do you get families as well who are homeless, like women with children or...? Yeah, that's that can be a big problem. So, yeah, a lot of the women that do find themselves homeless due to domestic violence in particular will have children and a problem that they run into it's really hard because they'll flee that situation that they're in thinking oh great the council will help me and there are options there but a lot of the time a a woman can only get a council house or help in another area if she has her children living with her she's only considered a single parent and there's a lot of help out there for single parents but they're only considered that if they have their children living with them and so that kind of puts them into this like negative cycle where they don't really know what to do because they don't have a house but in order to get a house they have to have a house so it's 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 a problem that we see time and time again with women it's really hard it just all sounds like a a spiral doesn't it like just one 
life event and it just all it's almost like crazy. a house of cards really isn't it just, yeah like we have so many people where on paper they're really successful doing really well like they can like we had a guy who was a chef doing really well and then relationship breakdown happened and he was homeless and living with us and it's just it's it's incredible seeing how quickly you know people have this idea of what a homeless person is uh, and it's so often just not the case it's often not through any fault of their own you just fall on hard times and things get out of hand and before you know it you're in a position you never thought you'd be in and you don't know you don't know what helps available you don't know what you can do one of the one of the things that surprised me because I thought oh well there'll be a few classic stories and um, I remember it was, it was back when we, we were running the bus and we'd got to like person number 50 and I was like I don't think we've had the same story twice mm. there's such unique ways people have become homeless and but one that does repeat is bereavement. It's really interesting. So I've had several people who were living carers for like a parent who was disabled or yeah. what have you. And then that parent dies. And we've got a chap who's living at the moment. This is his story. So for 16 years, I'll call him Mark. He's not called Mark. Mark okay, looked yeah. after his mum. Mark's mum dies. And then he didn't know, just from lack of education, he didn't know he should have he should have been named on the tenancy. So the landlord went, I don't know who you are, off you go. And because he's not very confrontational and he was struggling with bereavement, mm. he just went, oh, okay, and then ended up on the street and came to us. So the first few months, we were just working through the grieving process with this guy. Mm. And then he said to, we said, look, we've found a company that would love, love to give you a work trial. Would you like to work for them? It's a full-time job. Really great hotel in the city centre, decent, uh, de- decent job offer. And um, he said, oh, I haven't worked for for 16 years. I can't do that. His confidence was rock bottom. We're like, mm. no, you have worked. It's just that you didn't ca- count it as work. You were working hard, all the things you had to do to help your mum, you know. And um, so he sort of tentatively started this job part-time. And he sort of grew in confidence and my colleague would go to work with him so alright we'll go on the bus mm-hmm. together and we'll, that way you'll learn the bus route and I will come to work with you and so the hotel did quite well because I had a spare pair of hands for a bit <laughs> and and then he was like yeah I can do this and then um, and then we took him and a few others out to Kenya to go help build a, a school in a, in, in a slum there and uh, he was he was just saying wow you know I've got a lot to offer the kids he's you know he's great with the kids um, but then also he was you know, physically labouring with the Kenyan builders and he's saying, these guys have such a work ethic, you know. <laughs> and he came home going, right, I can do this. I've got opportunities here in the UK that I hadn't really grasped. You know, he'd, I'd seen my problems, but now I can see the opportunities as well. Now he's, And he mm-hmm. works full time now and he's saving up and he'll be moving on to his own place soon. And while he's been with us, we've taught him to shop and to cook mm. and to budget. I say we really, it's more Emily and the team. <laughs> I'm like that's a glorified sure. fundraiser. But it, it, that's but amazing. But that's mm. like, that's quite normal for us. That's kind of the journey we go on mm. is somewhere between coaching and sometimes parenting, depending on the age of the person we're working with and whether they ever were parented, frankly. Because mm. sometimes people say to me, oh, do you give people a second chance? I was like, sometimes, sometimes giving them a first chance, actually. You know, mm. there, was a, there was a lad who quit school at nine tried to hang himself at 10, then started dealing drugs for his mum and then was working for the gang. He learnt his numbers from his TV remote in his prison cell. So did he have a first chance? Not really. Um, and uh, third time when he came out of prison, 
he said to the gang, like, oh, I don't want to work for you anymore. I'm sick of hurting people, you know. He was dealing some heavy stuff and seeing people die and so on. He said, I just don't want to live this life anymore. I don't know what I can do, but I'm going to go. And they said, well, we're putting a price on your head because you know too much. So he had to flee this gang and he went to the city centre, started sleeping rough, 14 weeks of sleeping rough. And then he got picked up and uh, ended up with us, basically. Yeah. And... Um, he was hard work because it, all he knew was how to communicate with threats and ultimatums and and uh, we thought we were getting somewhere and then uh, pulled a knife and threatened to kill one of his housemates because he hadn't done the washing up so that's I mean that's motivation to do the washing up to be fair but it's probably not how I would run the house and <laughs> yeah, I had to yeah. kick him out you know but I just got him a full time job with a scaffolding company the other end of town from where he'd been because yeah. he was too nervous to go there mm. Um, and I put him up in a hotel to the end of the month. We didn't really have the budget for this, but I was like, look, mate, you stick it till payday and then find a place to rent. And I bought him a bike because he's too scared to get the bus in case a gang member recognised him. And uh, to, fair, to be fair to me, he stuck that job for 18 months. Mm. And uh, he even, uh, he just, he softened. We went to watch football together because his dad had never took him. And, uh, and then uh, he... Even became a Christian, goes to church, and now he goes around. He works full time, um, but he goes around, and he, he was such a prolific drug dealer that every day he meets someone that used to be a client, and they're like, "Are you uh, are you still dealing?" And he's like, "No, but I'm dealing hope now." Oh, <laughs> so no, he's, that's amazing. And so he's helped get several people into jobs, homeless people. Mm. He spends his time sat on the street listening to other people's stories, going, "You won't believe this, but only a year ago this was me." And uh, and wow. telling them about God's love for them and second chances and and that you wouldn't believe the change in this guy. So those are, the, you know, those, these are the spheres of hope that I hang on to. Mm. You know, there's lots of difficult things in our job, as you can imagine, but you hang on to these things. You go, well, yeah. From that guy, it. the story you've said, mm. you know, if he so can do it, it and turn it around and go oh, on yeah. to be mm. a role model, essentially, yeah. then there's yeah. hope in everyone. Exactly. Oh yeah. wow, Sid. Exactly. So the stories you've just told us then, Sid, about you know, the success stories, people moving on. Is that how it works? So obviously you provide the housing for them, but then ultimately they stand on their own two feet, get jobs, earn money, and then get their own place. Is that the... That is absolutely the aim of this. That's how it works. So many people come to us and their dream is to live in local authority housing on on benefits, you know. And actually, I feel like that housing should be for you know, single mums with a load of kids or someone who's pregnant or someone who Mm. has a disability to the point where they can't work or what have you. And obviously people need a a chance, an opportunity, but a lot of our men and women really, with the right nurture and support and sort of growth in self-belief and realising they can do it, will discover, hang on, yeah, I want to aim for more than that. I Mm. do want to work full-time and I don't want to live on benefits forever. And Do do you see what I mean? Mm. And so... Sometimes it's a funny one because you meet someone and they go, "My need is I need to be off the street now," and and you know and you go, "Yeah, I've got a slightly bigger vision than you have," so you have mm. to gently get them to that place. But by the time people leave, they're like, "Yes, I've got this. I can't wait to go." So that's great, you know. Yeah. And so we were counting the other week because obviously we sort of split what we've done into two bits. When we had the bus, it was all about how many people had we taken off the street and how many nights had we provided as a shelter. It was very grassroots, you know. Um, and then it was like, oh, actually, we're starting to get people housed and employed and things. So ever since we've moved to being a housing provider, which is what we are now, 
It's very, very different. We're measuring what's a long-term outcome here. Is this person housed and sticking it a year later? Are we? Are, have they returned to homelessness or are they cracking on with life? And so we, I sat down with my colleague the other week and we were going, yeah, uh, there's now 48 people that we've taken from street to next accommodation. Only two have gone to council housing. So that gives you an idea of the actual benefit to society that we're providing, which means... Most people are actually going out, contributing to society, not on mm. benefits anymore, working full time. Um, that's good for everybody. It's good, and it's good for the person as well and their mental it's health. Good and, for everyone. Yeah, because yeah. well, these guys have got so much to offer. I guess, especially the young men and stuff, and young women. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. Definitely, like even before they get into jobs, sometimes even working part time will get them involved in the community, volunteering and doing things like that. Just really getting integrated into the community so that they've got. Like a solid group of people, a support network around them. Because you know, I think Sid mentioned earlier, a lot of the time people will go back to the street because that's what they know, that's where their community is, that's where they feel safe, that's where their friends are. So if they can come to us and we kind of can provide this more holistic care for them, that's perfect. And then we don't just kind of wash our hands clean of them. Once we get them a job and they move out, we will continue providing resettlement care for, I mean, we say up to a year, but... We have one guy and it's been it's been a lot longer than a year and I just I, I can't see myself not wanting to keep tabs on him because you know I care about him and I care about his success. So yeah, I think that that really it, it, it makes sure that the, the work, the hard work and the commitment that they put in while staying with us, it's not just a short term thing, it's long term and they're you know living sustainably. Uh, and um, you were actually homeless for a time yourself, weren't yeah, you? Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, so it was back in Australia. Um, so I've, I think I'm uniquely placed for this kind of work because it can be funny, you know, I'm quite young and here I am in this job kind of helping people how to live. And it's like, well, you've barely lived. But uh, for someone as, as young as I, I am, I have experienced quite a lot. So I grew up in a house uh, that with a domestically violent, uh, my my dad was uh, yeah quite violent, quite a violent man. He sexually abused me while I was growing up, and because of that, I, home wasn't home for mm. me. I didn't want to be there. Uh, I felt unsafe. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a safe place for me. So I'm really familiar with that feeling of you know you you might have a house over your head, but it's not somewhere you want to be. It's not somewhere where you feel stable and safe and at peace. So I would do whatever I could to not be at home. Uh, I would sometimes sleep at the park. I would often sleep at friends' houses, just kind of like as a cover-up, like, oh, I'm just coming over to spend time with you and have yeah. fun, have a sleepover. But I just wanted to be somewhere where I could feel safe. Uh, so that's my experience kind of growing up. And that, yeah, it means I'm uniquely placed to be able to help these women in a, a real tangible way because I can, I can relate. And a lot of the time that's what these women need because it's really easy to just come in and go, oh, here's your problem. Practically, this is what you got to do. Bam, bam, bam. And it's really nice to just be able to get alongside them and go, you know what? Like, I don't know your problem specifically. I'm not in your shoes, but I can relate. I feel you and I'm sorry. Uh, And a lot of the time it, it just means that I can use language that is helpful. Sometimes people, when they haven't really been in those shoes themselves, it's really easy to kind of accidentally say things that can be a trigger, but you just wouldn't know unless you'd been in that place yourself. So I feel really blessed. You know, obviously the things that I've been through weren't fun, 
but it's it's equipped me with what I need to be able to do the job well and help people in a similar position. And I feel really, really lucky and privileged to be able to do that. Amazing, amazing story. And the word there for me is home because obviously this series, we've looked at different elements of home, you know, how to furnish your home, mm. how to, you know, clean your home and like organise your home. And that's the key thing. It's like you had a house, but it wasn't a home. So mm. by doing what you're doing, it gives people a home. Is that the main thing for you, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that kind of go into it. Uh, I think we were mentioning before, there's, you can go to a lot of diff- different separate places to get help. There's places that will give you food. There's places that will give you some clothes. There's places that might give you a temporary roof. But a lot of these things are, are short-term fixes, especially shelters. There's a place for them, but it's very short-term. Um, and we want to set people up. We want to create a space where they can thrive and they can grow and they can feel like, you know, they've got a place in the world and they have something to give, they have something to offer. We really want to equip people with not just the practical skills that they need, but the confidence. A lot of the time, it's just the moral support that they need, knowing that someone's in their corner. Like, you know, even from my personal experience, I know how it feels to feel a bit alone in the world and like no one's for you you know you're just hitting brick walls doors are closing on you no matter where you go where you look and so just having someone there going you know what I'm for you I'm for you I'm not against you and I'm going to help you and I'm just going to I'm going to journey this with you it's just having that so yeah there's a lot of things that go into providing safe space for someone it's not just a roof it's the support network you've got around you which is why we get them integrated into the community in like volunteering um in a a job where their managers understand their position and are sympathetic and passionate and can provide opportunities for them it's providing a place where yeah there is a roof but there's all those other things as well because a home is so much more than just just that just the foundation where you're living it's so much more and it really it matters it really does make a difference so how did you guys get to work with uh, simple life and the parent company how did uh, because obviously we're featuring your stories today but you, there is a bit of a connection as well isn't there there is um i, I was doing an event at um the site that will be the mc village it's it's, it's quite cool because it's under all these victorian arches and so it was helpful because it was miserable weather in February, I think it was, or November. That kind of time, anyway. <laughs> Should remember these things. It's like four months difference there. But. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. building, so, you're building a village. Weather, You've got other weather. things to think yeah, about. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. So yeah, no, it was um, it was miserable weather, but we managed to get all these uh, business owners down. And there's a chap um, at Loft Interiors who I think kit out many of uh, Simple Life's properties. Um, a guy called Ben and. He came down and he very kindly brought all this furniture. I wasn't even expecting it. He brought all this furniture down. So we're sat outdoors, but under this archway on all this really cool furniture, freezing our backsides off. But uh, but we had a laugh anyway. <laughs> and Ben said, uh, Ben's friend Neve, who works for Simple Life, uh, happened to be down from Scotland. She was in town and he just sent her a text saying, you don't happen to be in Manchester, do you? And she said, I am actually. He went, what are you doing this evening? She went, Nothing. And he went, make your way to this address. So Neve, being the intrepid explorer that she is, went, okay. <laughs> Unassumingly came along. And uh, there and then was like, we've got to get you in our office. And I'd, I'd honestly never heard of the company. But, you know, 
being in the position of needing to raise significant funds to build this whole thing, I was like, yep, I'll meet anyone. So uh, <laughs> I went and met Neve, who turned out to be one of the most live wires of all time. She's amazing. Uh, she is great. And uh, and met some of the rest of the team as well, who were also great, uh, in case they're listening. Uh, I should just drop that in. Uh, and um, it it was an interesting... It was At the time, it was a straight kind of, we want to put some finance towards this embassy village. So I was like, thank you very much. Amazing. And then um, I got a call a little bit later saying, our, our CEO is interested in sort of, can we use one of our properties somewhere in the country to, to house a couple of women who are facing homelessness? Now, the timing of this was unreal because we'd just spent six months uh, trying to buy a property for women and it had fallen through at the last hurdle um, because it was it was in an apartment block and whilst the vendor was desperate to sell to us and was selling to us cheaper than other people had made offers because she liked what we were doing mm. um, it was like the management company of this particular block they'd worked really hard to find some kind of legal loophole mm. somewhere in the in the license that they had on this property to yeah. to say no because they basically didn't want homeless yeah. people they had a picture in their head I think of what it was and so we'd wasted six months and we were really frustrated and all the estate agents in in town were saying to us, look, at the moment we're preferring cash buyers only and we didn't have that. We had a mortgage offer. So we're just getting nowhere and it was really frustrating. And Emily was like, oh my days, I have been working with the men forever and I want to work with the women. I was like, I'm sorry, <laughs> cannot get a hold of a property for love nor money. And then this conversation, I get pulled into the office at Simple Life and they said, um, well, what if we just lend you a property for a couple of years? I was like... This is incredible. <laughs> so, so it wasn't long before we were in and Emily's first mm. two residents are in. And then we thought, oh, this isn't as chaotic as we thought it was going to be. These women are great. Maybe we could do two more. And so we came back and Simple Life went, all right, we've got another building with another apartment. And these are nice apartments, like better than They're any. so nice. Yeah. Honestly, we were looking at buying a house at one point. There was like... On a very questionable street in a particular part of Greater Manchester that we shouldn't name, and um, <laughs> it was pretty rough, and it was terraced, and we just were like, "I hope it's safe here." And then, uh, and then this offer comes up, and and it's this yeah. just beautiful properties, and so I'll probably let you speak into it, Emily, but the the quality and, it's amazing. Yeah. It's I love. You know, it's gone from zero to 100 very quickly, very suddenly. We, we finally got somewhere and there's so many women that need help. We get a lot of um, referrals from different councils and there's just, you know, the problem is getting the properties. It's not filling them. We can fill them like so quick. I'm clicking my finger right now, but I'm speaking into a mic. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, just so quickly that there are women there that need the help. Um, and so when we can provide a space, it's ready. But uh, yeah, I love kind of accepting a woman and then showing her where she's going to be living for the first time because she walks in there and you just see like this woman's coming from like sleeping on a cold street in Manchester and she I get to give her keys to a front door give her keys to a bedroom and it's not just like any ordinary place she walks in and you should you should see I wish I could take videos of Yeah I was going to say it'd be incredible to see I guess it's beautiful and I <laughs> it's it's such a privilege being able to provide that for someone and see them and they'll walk in and they're just like this is this is amazing thank you so much and talking about providing not just a house but a home like 
you know, this is a really nice home. (laughs) So we've been so, so lucky and we feel so, so supported and blessed to be in the position that we're in to be able to give such a nice place for these women to rebuild their lives and their confidence. And that's Mm. it. It, That's just the start of the journey. But to start Mm. it in such a lovely home is just... It's just incredible. And then obviously the journey you go on with the guys after, it's just, it's amazing. And it it starts us off on the right foot because we kind of give them the keys to that place and they see it and they go, oh, no, they trust you straight away, don't they? Yeah, they they can see that we're investing in them. We're investing in their future and we, you know, we want what's best for them. You're on their side. It just starts us off exactly. We're, We're in their corner. So what advice and support out there is there victim for victims and people who are homeless? Because obviously, you know, people listening now might not be homeless or they might know someone who's going through difficult yeah. situations. What advice and support is there? Yeah, there? so uh, for women fleeing domestic violence, there's, uh, there's uh, Women's Aid um, and there's also Refuge. So they are um, a charity that will provide some housing that's the thing it's it's hard and that's why i'm so passionate about what we're doing specifically because there are there is help available but it's very kind of bitsy and it's very hard for people to kind of nail down okay where do i even go in the first place a lot of the time they they won't have a phone or if they do have a phone, they don't have credit or they don't have a, like they can't charge it so just that first hurdle of like looking up and finding where help is that's the first hurdle it's impossible you know like I personally if I didn't have my phone if I didn't have like GPS on my phone Google Maps that's it I'm done for I can't live my life so you can just imagine for these people like just being able to find the help that's available is so hard and yeah so there is uh but it's all very kind of broken up it's bitsy and if you can even find it how do you get there and that's why what we're doing is is quite different and important because it's it's one place that kind of works to provide it all it's a holistic solution uh so yeah, there are places where, where women can go to kind of get... There's a great charity um, in the centre of Manchester called Barnabas um, and that's just a really good hub where people can go and get advice. They really offer solid advice. They give them a cup of coffee, someone to chat to, warm clothes and say, look, this is your best bet, go here. Uh, and, you know, that's a really good resource. But um, there's very few, if any, places besides us who will offer, especially in Manchester. I think we are the only ones in Manchester who offer somewhere where you can go and it's not just a roof, but it's practical support, it's moral support, it's, uh, you know, helping get into a job, it's aftercare, it's kind of everything you need to give yourself that head start you need in life to make sure that you're going to thrive long term. We we had to go and spend three months seconded to yeah. we seconded Emily to a charity a really great charity in Liverpool called Imagine If and that says it all really that was the closest place that did anything like what we do mm. now for women mm. and it's surprising really you know Greater Manchester is nearly three million people and you think how are we sort of breaking ground by doing this it's a bit disturbing really to me it really bothered me the more research we did and the more kind of kind of astounded I was I was like is no one willing to do this and we'd heard a lot of reports oh Mm. women are extra chaotic and much more Mm. difficult to work with and all this and so we went into it like (laughs) really like we will just work with two people and it will be really difficult and we're now thinking oh it's not that bad at all, you know. We just I mean, need knock to give on wood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been less than a year, so I guess we've yeah. yeah. But I think, I mean, there was. I don't know if it's still exactly like this, but when Emily and I were sort of talking to 
homeless women. There was a, a woman that we met at Barnabas, um, who are friends of ours. We sort of work closely with Barnabas and have prayer meetings together and all sorts. Mm-hmm. We help each other out. But um, this woman, I'll change her name to Kate because she's not called Kate. But her story was that she was for a long time in an abusive relationship. Uh, but the thing that kept her there was the children. Because she's like, well, if I flee, I leave my children with this abusive guy. And in the end, after years of that, she kind of was like, actually, there's a sort of tipping point in her mind anyway, was, well, mm. they're just watching their mum get beaten all the time, so mm. maybe I'll leave. Mm. And I'm like, you know, you're hearing this and you're thinking, no, no, I don't know, I don't think that's mm. right. But she, but then equally she can't stay there, so it's really difficult. He obviously wasn't going to let her take the kids, so she made this heart-wrenching decision goes to the council and says, please, can you help me? I've just become homeless. And at the, I don't know if it's still the case, but at the time they said, yeah, we'll help you. We need you to name your abuser. And a lot of places do. A lot of places you require you to, to name your abuser if you're a woman. And I think it's from a misplaced sense of justice. They want to tell the police mm-hmm. and see justice exacted. The problem is it doesn't happen that quickly. And so... Uh, what normally happens is women have fled their abuser, they've told someone, the gears grind, and eventually police will turn up and quiz that person. That person sort of knows what to say and acts all kind of like, oh, no, it's a misunderstanding. And then the woman goes, I'm really struggling to find anywhere to stay here, goes back and has all hell to face because it's like you mm. told the police, mm. now it's going to be even harder for you sort of thing. So she could see that playing out and she said, I'm not going to come into the council kind of um, uh, kind of they got a a hostile um, system she wasn't up for it because she was too frightened of that and so she then went to there is one shelter that's mixed men and women which I've always Mm. kind of wondered if that's a great idea but anyway she went there and while she was there one of the other one of the homeless men uh, raped her basically so then uh, she went to sleep on the street for a while but had similar experience with that so then it finally goes and names her abuser or all that, gets into the hostel um, system with the council who did look after her. But it was still a 15-month wait in that hostel for a council flat to come available. She's now housed and doing much better and the team at Barnum is supporting her. And what's really cool is she's now in a position where she feels strong enough to challenge for her kids mm. and last time we saw her she was she had a social worker and she was mm. starting to see her kids again and she actually said to me like she wishes when she was like facing those struggles that there was a charity like us available to her because you know she experienced what i was saying that there wasn't really any like wraparound support for her available at the time and i remember just sitting down and you know she shared her story with me and we were in tears and mm. i was just kind of chatting with her and, and hearing her heart and yeah, she was just like, I just wish, like, I wish there was something like embassy available when when I was homeless because it would mm. have made her journey a lot simpler. Yeah. yeah, and I think all this is is not to decry any of the existing charities no, or the council. We, we find local authorities in Greater Manchester yeah. have their heart in the right place, yeah. and there's a place just, for them for sure. Absolutely, but there's there is just there is a growing number of homeless people. Yeah. There is not the funds there at the local authority level to build loads of new housing. And so, and, you know, we're just seeing this increase. Last time I sat down with Manchester City Council, who, again, you know, I think they're doing the best they can. They were saying, we just have never seen the sheer volume of people Mm. becoming homeless. 
and the sheer volume of people coming in on boats from other places just mm. that they were saying the, the combination it's like nothing we've seen since the blitz when people were homeless because their homes were gone you know yeah. but it, mm. it's there is an absolute crisis going on at the moment you know? yeah I've definitely noticed like I walk through Manchester almost daily and you used to be it used to be hard to see a woman kind of rough sleeping out there in broad daylight because like I was saying before they were made hidden uh, but lately I, I it's almost equal the men and women that I see and I'm like, wow, something is, I don't know what it is, but something has definitely, definitely changed. Yeah. Mm. I think it's, it's probably a it. perfect storm of everything, isn't it? There's been a lot of different things over the, uh, you know, you mentioned COVID earlier, it's probably that. Obviously the immigration problems, wars in Ukraine and, yeah. you know, We'd have Israel built the village there, by now if yeah. it wasn't for the war in Ukraine. That's the reality. Yeah. It, added, it added millions to our building. Global costs, problems. So. Yeah. so obviously we've heard a lot of stories uh today on this episode if people are moved to help volunteer is there an opportunity for that as well volunteering used to be like so easy we had 60 volunteers on every month Mm. when we ran the bus because we just needed people now that we're in homes we don't have much capacity volunteering because it's not a zoo it's people's home and it's just really difficult unless people are kind of come in at least every week and really involved it's quite difficult for us mm. to organize it however when the village is built that will change again because mm. we'll have all the sports pitches and gardens and space that the village hall will be that kind of third space so please don't kind of give up on the idea we'd be keen to hear from people then um support though <laughs> could look like finance you know we mm. we we run at a deficit each month, like most charities. That's normal. You know, we don't have a product that we sell. We are a not-for-profit and we're always ambitious. So, like, we've doubled the number of people that we house this year, but our budget <laughs> has not changed. So, yeah. like, we do need cold, hard cash if anyone's yeah. got a you know, million pounds burning a hole in their pocket. Even if help. people haven't, even if people just want to donate a couple of quid. Honestly, how, how, that is how, how it really people, works. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it really works. How do people go if, about that? Uh, our website is embassyvillage.co.uk and you can go on there and you can give straight through the website. Um, right. So that that is super helpful. Um, if people want to give a one-off, I'm super grateful for that. The dream is people who journey with us and go, all right, I'll come on a journey with this. It might be, you know, like five, ten pound a month. You know, you might be fortunate enough to be able to do more than that. But if lots of people do that, we'll make it. So I think mm. um, have a look at that. And the dream is to do monthly. So there's an option to do monthly if you want to journey with us. Mm. And there's an option if you want to, to hear from our newsletter. We only do it quarterly because we frankly have better things to do than write lots of newsletters and annoy people. But um, if, you're, <laughs> if you're interested, you'll get like a sensible a amount of information. You've us. not really sold your newsletter well. <laughs> Listen, then, the newsletter's honest, good, but nobody wants a newsletter every week, do they? It's quite yeah, yeah. worth the We don't read. spam people. No, um, that's, uh, that's great. But that's... Sorry, if people no, don't have the money, though, there are other ways. So we're always looking for um, people to help provide jobs for um, our residents. Yeah. So if yeah, if you are high up in a company and kind of yeah, you're able to offer that help, then yeah, we're always looking for that more practical help mm. as well. Uh, if you you know just practical things like um, today, actually, I had someone offer a company that she works for. They help people write CVs and give them employability help. So if there's anything like that as well that you feel could kind of benefit our residents and definitely get in contact because, you know, we love the support and we need it. We're also building, and I don't think we've touched on this yet, we're building the village oh, yes. and we do need 
money for that. Yeah. And we do need what you might work for a company that supplies building materials or you might be, you know, to plastering or something like that. We are kind of three quarters of the way funded, <laughs> but there's a bit of a DIY SOS brewing here. So if you want to help with that, let us know. The other thing is um, we went and had a, a cheeky chat with the mayor of one of the local, we're not going to say where, one of the local <laughs> authorities in, in Greater Manchester. And they very kindly have offered us a plot of land um, big enough to build homes for four women and an office for Emily and all the rest of it. Um, it will be subtle and you'll drive past it and you think, that just looks like a normal house or building, but it's going to be our first mm-hmm. actual property that we own uh, mm-hmm. for four women and hopefully the first of many. But um, again, that is, there's four companies that have got involved with the, the finance for that, but we haven't got all the money. So you might be specifically interested in that. Um, so there's a lot going on. Yeah. It's a great project. We're trying to build it as much as we can out of um, entirely recycled materials. Obviously, can't build something 100%, yeah. but we're trying our hardest. Uh, we've been given a lot of um, kind of materials that we can use that kind of got this idea up and running off the ground to build it as, yeah, as much out of recycled materials as we can. And that came from Neve at Simple Life. She said, wouldn't yeah. it be really cool if we built some houses together, but we built them from upcycled materials. So I was like, that's yeah. really cool, Neve, but sounds even more difficult than what I'm trying <laughs> to do anyway. Um, she put us in touch with a lovely uh, guy called Andrew who runs a company up in Scotland called Ground Neutral and they completely, they do demolition and they have a workshop and they test everything and then you don't have to cut that tree down again, you know, it can be used again. So we, our architect, Chris, working pro bono, lovely guy, he's designed this house that will be at least 70% Recycled. How cool is that? And we were talking about, wouldn't it be amazing to employ one of our current cohort of men or women in the construction of it so that they learn a trade Mm -hmm. and by the time it's built, they've got a job with a company and moved on. And so every stage we're trying to like extract as much virtue from this. Yeah, quite right. That's an amazing idea. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. So good. So good. Well, Sid and Em, it's been great meeting you today on the Simple Life Chat. It's uh, You are good people doing very good things. I think that's the main thing we can take away from this episode. And keep doing what you're doing. And we'd love to get you back in over the next uh, over the next 12 months to find out how it's all going. That'd be amazing. Yeah, we'll be happy to come back and tell you what we've been up to. That'd be great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thanks thank very much. you. Keep doing that amazing work. Thanks, guys. Thanks once again to today's guests, Sid Williams and Em O'Brien. And as always, you can get more information on today's episode at the official website, simplelifehomes.co.uk.